are you doing? Hey, I'm doing well. Doing well. How about you? I'm doing well. So Philip and I met, since uh, everybody's listening, um, we met at South by Southwest uh, last week when uh, my current company uh, went there to present, uh, representing Houston startup scene. And uh, we actually had a really good discussion about education and the future of education system. Um, so let's actually share uh, with the audience some of the tidbits of the the highlight of our story, our conversation. So could yeah. you tell the audience like a little bit about yourself and, and um, how you got yourself got so fired up about, you know, what you're currently doing? Sure. Um, this, I think, kind of puzzles some people at first because, you know, what I'm doing now is in the field of, of matching people with jobs, but it all kind of stems from education. So I, I think I was pretty lucky growing up in the way that I, I grew up in a pretty middle income family in Ohio, but I got to go to a school called Hawken on scholarship. That was a really awesome private school that did things, I think, a little bit differently. Um, classes were very strongly um, project based and problem based. They kind of took problem based learning to, you know, just applied it to as many things as possible. Um, I got to meet somebody named Doris Corda there. It was fantastic. And she now runs a company helping other schools uh, implement a lot of the same strategies she, she created. Um, and I got to do things like we had an entrepreneurship education class where we would actually be put in teams and matched up with companies in the community that were building really amazing products. And they would come to us with a real world problem that they had. And they would say something like, you know, we have this technology, but we're not sure if it applies to this market. Can you do validation for us or something like that? And it was open-ended. It was not something where we did this giant prep class and spent months preparing ourselves to be able to do this sort of consulting. We were given three days to like Steam Blank's Lean Launchpad and then kind of had to figure it out for ourselves. And it was a really amazing experience. <laughs> so most people actually don't even get the experience not even after college you know uh, but you got to experience this so early um you know while you're in yep. high school so you, that's really awesome that oh it was it was amazing and so i got to i founded i founded my first company when i was a freshman in high school that basically um we identified i think that a lot of businesses in the cleveland area um had a lot of trouble with building maintaining marketing uh, websites. And I basically built a company that did that, uh, did pretty well. Um, I was, I got to do that as part of my high school experience, which is kind of nuts. And that led to me working on another venture with a friend of mine, David, who's now our CTO at, at Solver IQ. Um, and that brought me out to Silicon Valley that brought me out to, to Palo Alto and to San Francisco. And I would come out here for conferences and events and to lead a team out here. Mm -hmm. So the result of that was across my high school experience, I got an academic experience from Hawken that I think was, is pretty good. And I also got a lot of work experience. Mm -hmm. And what I noticed across all of those things is that it, I, what I would say about it is it, I think it gave me, and I think it gave a lot of the people that I know at a significant advantage mm. out, out here. If you come with, it, I would say in the process of getting hired, in the process of finding your career, it's very much who you know. Yeah. And if you know the right person at the right company, you can basically get the right job. 
And that's really frustrating because if you come through kind of systems of prestige, like getting to go to a really awesome university, it's so much more likely that you're going to get those connections that will in turn enable you to get the jobs that you need Mm -hmm. uh, for your life. And going to Hawken, going to a school like that, also significantly improved students' chances of getting into really great universities. So we can kind of view these systems as kind of factors of privilege in a way. Mm -hmm. But I got an added thing on top of that, which is that where a lot of uh, my peers at a lot of different institutions were kind of focusing on, as Peter Thiel likes to call it, the tournament, Mm -hmm. on memorizing as many facts as possible, getting the highest scores uh, as possible, Um, I got to actually spend that time building real world things that I was then able to show and demonstrate that enabled me to build a company that enabled me to get cool job opportunities. And that I think also helped me in the process of getting accepted to college. Mm -hmm. So it was a frustration with all of these things that then led me to start working in the field of job matching because I'm like, this entire system is really screwed up. And if somebody comes from the right means, if they have, you know, some of these advantages, little by little, they build over time. And the, the, the gap between the students that have and the students that have not just gets larger and larger and larger. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that, like, I'm sure that the, the, your mentor that, um, that taught you this entrepreneurial, um, like, project-based learning class was someone who had done herself an entrepreneurial pursuit. So the reason I think some of these are not currently being offered is because most of the teachers, they, um, they learn from the traditional, you know, academic methods and they, um, it's just that I feel like it's a win and win-win situation. If, um, if these methodologies are taught earlier, you know, in high school, the companies probably end up probably benefiting that from, uh, instead of coming from more academic um, approach. Right. I mean, I totally agree. But I think that I think that the reason for this, we kind of have to kind of follow the food chain here a little bit. Mm-hmm. So there was a shift that happened around the 60s, 70s in higher education in this country, away from a model of liberal arts education and towards a more practical vocational education Mm -hmm. and the reason that happened by and large which um you know the 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 president of bennington college explained in a ted talk as well that i really enjoyed i'm blanking on her name unfortunately um but the reason that shift happened largely was a response to industry there were questions about the value of college education and the response from a lot of university uh leadership was um to say we need to We need to focus on practical skills, focus on getting students employed. (laughs) And this focus kind of is applied just about everywhere. Um, Even if we look at Rice University, the the school that I attend now, um, when uh, President David Lieberman joined Rice University, his primary focus was to really bolster engineering curriculum, um, to focus on building new labs and new partnerships with companies. And the result of that was uh, that more, you know, more rice students get employed, right? And improves the overall uh, um, prestige of the school, which he definitely did and was very successful at. Mm-hmm. Um, there is, however, a kind of inherent problem in all of that, which is that the liberal arts, while not the most immediately practically applicable, 
is really the core of universities and what university learning is supposed to be. It's the part of university learning that focuses on critical thinking skills and creative skills. And those skills, while not directly applicable in the workplace, indirectly very much apply. Mm -hmm. And so what happened as a result of that shift, and, and by the way, a major thing that affected that shift was uh, the rise of the U.S. News and World Report's college rankings, because they would directly track college's ability to produce those outcomes. And if those colleges weren't good at that, they would be, in a way, almost shamed and pressured into changing. So as a result of that shift at the university level, well, then what happened to high school? Well, how high school became a lot more focused on how do I get into the best college? And that changed high school education. Looking at the state of Texas, for example, and kind of the course of education policy in the state of Texas, if we look to the inception of, of No Child Left Behind um, and, and uh, originally um, uh, uh, Governor Bush's efforts in the state of Texas to change education standards, they were focused on how do we actually make STEM education better in schools in Texas. And that's where this uh, high stakes testing based educational philosophy actually came from. It came from Texas and educational reform in the state of Texas. Mm -hmm. So following it, it, it kind of starts from industry and kind of works its way down. Mm -hmm. um, and the big problem in that is there's a big lag between what industry wants and what education ends up doing. So industry said, we want more people to fill technical roles. So improve your science, your technology, your mathematics. And schools focused on that and also directed resources away from the liberal arts. And now actually companies are saying, wait a second, that actually was a little problematic for us. <laughs> We're getting students that are really great at the technical skills, but they don't have the actual interpersonal skills, the creative skills, the critical thinking skills to be valuable in the workplace. But yeah. schools have already realigned themselves almost entirely. So it would be really great, tying, tying back to where we started, <laughs> it'd be really great for, for uh, teachers to better implement these strategies in schools, but we also have to really work hard at changing the system as a whole that they play within. Otherwise, any teacher that wants to try out new strategies, that wants to experiment, do things differently in their classroom, is doing so at a major professional risk. Mm. Wow, that was um, a lot of uh, ideas. <laughs> <laughs> But I, I understand that kind of gave you the, the seed of um, for to, to the fire in your heart to, to start what you're currently doing, right? So you want to provide understand what you're doing is you want to provide an opportunity for those that doesn't necessarily live in the area that give them the networking uh, opportunity uh, a way for them to also be considered is that is that correct yes yes so kind of uh, tying back to kind of the story of some of the experiences that i've had um and tying back to how so much of getting a job is who you know um It's, it was really alarming for us when we started talking to a lot of hiring managers and HR professionals and asking them about their process mm -hmm. because we realized how much guesswork there was in the process. So right now, about 80% of hiring managers don't actually read the bullet points in the first and second passes of the resume, meaning that the first and second time they read your resume, which, by the way, the first time they read your resume, average of seven and a half seconds. Wow. And the second time around, they read your resume about 45 seconds. 
So you got to pass those two, uh, those two reads in order to make it to the next stage of the process at top companies. Here's, and if they're not actually reading the bullet points, well, what are they reading? Well, they're reading, where did you go to college? And they're reading, where did you get your first job? So if you grew up in Palo Alto, California, you got a really great internship at a startup, which helped you actually get into college and get into, let's say, Stanford University. And then at Stanford University, you applied for internships and you got a really great internship at Google. You can basically walk into any job you want and they will almost immediately consider you as a finalist. Mm -hmm. And the biggest problem with that comes down to socioeconomic privilege, because these things are very much factors of privilege. If you didn't go to the great high school, you really will have a lot of trouble getting into the great college. And if you didn't go to the great college, then you probably wouldn't have the direct introductions to really great companies. And so it's so much if the, we've, we've put so much focus that the, let me put my words together here. Basically, if a student doesn't get a good start, they are in many cases, not all, but in many cases, they're kind of doomed to never reach the height of their potential. Mm -hmm. And so what we did is we said, this is ridiculous. Okay, there's got to be a better thing for us to assess. And we went to hiring managers and basically asked them, if you had infinite resources, if you had infinite time and infinite money, what would you actually do to assess the quality of an applicant? And they gave us almost the same answer every single time. They said, I would sit down with this person for coffee. And I would ask this person a bunch of questions to try to understand their thought process, their motivations, their, their passions. I really want to get to understand how they think. Mm -hmm. And I want to understand what environment they might thrive in. And then after that process completes, then I want to know their practical skills. I said, that's interesting. Why is that? And they said, because over time, people learn, right? People improve their skills. People improve what they can do. But the big question is, why do they do it? Because if they're passionate about what the problem, if they're passionate about the problem the company is solving, if they align with the company's value proposition, if they align with the company's culture, they're going to have the motivation to go out there and build whatever skills they don't have. And this comes right back to education. Because we think about what was the difference between the educational experience I had and the educational experience many students had in high-stakes testing-based environments in those environments, they basically say, you have to jump through this hoop because you want to essentially get paid. How do you get paid? You get paid with a grade. And in the experience that I had, it was very flipped. It was, you're going to do this because you care about it. And that's, the, that's your motivation. And that resulted in better outcomes. So the same thing with hiring. They see better results when they find people that are aligned with the culture, mission, and, and driven uh, uh, culture mission and vision of the company, but there is no way to actually assess that. So we started doing some research and I was studying cognitive science at Rice University. I was working with a couple really awesome professors there and to try to figure out, you know, how could we actually determine these things in an automated way so that instead of, determine, instead of understanding these insights at the end of the process, when you interview somebody, could understand them at the start of the process when you're filtering through the applications. So you wouldn't have to filter through them by college or by how cool your first job was, but you could filter through them by those insights. And we built a system that basically looks like a portfolio. 
and you could just submit samples of work, things that you've done in the past, answer some questions about them, answer some questionnaires. And what we could do is actually look at your answers using artificial intelligence, machine learning. Um, we could look at your answers and we could use them to extract the psychological traits that kind of define you and your personality, to extract information on what sort of environment you thrive in, and to figure out, again, why, why you do what you do. What's your motivation? What's your passion? And so what we're then able to do is take all of that information and use it to match students in our network with really great first jobs and internships. And, and that's what we do at Solver IQ. And do you offer this to just, just anybody, like this wide audience, just like LinkedIn would just have an open platform for anyone to just log in, uh, register and log in and create an account? Um, uh, how does this work? So right now we've made it open to a group of clubs and organizations that we've kind of vetted and, and we've been working with for the past few months. The only reason is because we want to make sure that we can handle Like if, if, if 10,000 people sign up tomorrow, we want to make sure we're ready. Right. <laughs> but eventually my hope is as soon as possible, we can make the system available to literally everybody because we, we want these tools to be available to as many people as possible. It seems like it would be a great tool. Um, just overall, uh, at any age actually, to absolutely to for them to also learn about themselves and to see you know what are the things that x company is looking for and so you know they can hone in on their skills you know not just wait until they go to college but start in high school <laughs> right so, and i think about this all the time yeah. what we eventually want to do is actually be the platform for not just the first job we want to be the platform for career changes because the way that we see the next five to 10 years playing out in terms of automation, mm -hmm. you know, there's going to be a lot of legacy industries that are going to rapidly disappear because we're going to take different technologies and we're going to automate them. And there's going to be people who need to switch jobs. Well, if you're switching a job and your resume is all based in one industry and suddenly that industry doesn't exist, well, what do you do? <laughs> in many cases, there's not really much you can do because you didn't have an, you, you, let's say that you were driving for Uber. Uh, and you did a very good job and you got all these compliments in the app again and again and again from people who are riding with you saying you're really great with people. You're really great talking to people, working with customers. Well, if you want to say, you know what, I want to go get a sales internship so I can learn sales and then go do that because I actually probably am, am inclined to do a good job at that, that nobody would take you because they'd say, well, you've been driving Uber. You don't have relevant experience. Mm. And so because we're, we're taking the traits that make you you and separating them from the domains they come from, what we want to be able to do in the future is actually use that to say, here's a really good internship. So if, you're, if you get fired from your job because your job starts to disappear, you can literally just go pick out something else that might be interesting, learn it in two months, and walk right on to another job. Are you alluding to when the artificial intelligence take over the world and people start losing their jobs <laughs> i mean i think it's already happening yeah but i think it's also always happened to some degree mm. you know we've always taken technology and we've taken things that normally human beings had to do and found a way to do them with machines what is going to happen most likely though is that the pace of that innovation is going to is going to increase and you know i grew up in ohio in a in a you know near cleveland which was a steel town for so many years 
And a lot of industries that have existed in the Midwest, right, looking at steel, looking at automotive, um, have kind of come and gone. And going through towns like Youngstown in Ohio that still struggle from widespread unemployment, you can see the results of that. But, you know, I just can't help but think that that might that, that there's kind of two futures we can have. There's a really bad future and there's a really good future. And the really bad future is that it takes people years to retrain themselves and switch between jobs. And in that really bad future, the way that some towns in Ohio look is how the country will look because you can't switch jobs very easily and switching jobs is based on prestige. And so, you know, that, that just doesn't end up working out very well for people, but there's a good future. If we can figure out ways to better retrain people and provide them with opportunity and, and understand the value that they bring to the table, then people actually would end up switching from jobs that they liked to jobs that they like even more. So that's why we're trying to build this technology because we see it as integral potentially to that really good future happening. Mm -hmm. So curious, are you currently doing fundraise? Um, <laughs> do you need investment? <laughs> we, we do, and we, we are currently fundraising, awesome. yes. All right. So if you're listening to this and if you're an investor, please check out Philip and his amazing team. And uh, <laughs> if you need his contact information, you can send me a message also. So, Philip, thank you so much for your awesome story. And, um, yeah, let's catch up uh, next week or another time that when you come back to Houston. For sure, for sure. Thanks so much. I really appreciate it. All right. Take care. Bye. Bye.